We want to say welcome to our visitors this morning. It's good to have each one of you with us. Uh, we're, we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to share with you out of the book of Zechariah. Turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to start reading in that first verse this morning. And we have a pretty good chunk of scripture. We're going to read all the way down through verse 14. Uh, starting in Zechariah 4, cha- uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And I love the angel's response. This is a strange vision that he's seeing. And the angel that talked with me answered me and said unto me, Knowest not thou what you see? And I said, No, my Lord. (laughs) I do not understand what I'm looking at. Then he answered and spake unto me, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. That is a strange passage of scripture. Can you say amen? (laughs) What in the world did we just read? So let me give you a little context, a little background. The first Jewish temple was built by Solomon, and it was completed in about 827 B.C. But because of Israel's rebellion and their idolatry, God used the Babylonians to execute judgment against Israel. And between 607 In 586 BC, there were multiple Jewish revolts followed by multiple raids of the Babylonians until 586 BC when King Nebuchadnezzar really cracked down on Israel and he rounded up all of the people except the poorest of the poor and he carried them away out of their homeland and he completely destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. So in Jeremiah chapter 29, God promised that the people would be under Babylonian captivity for 70 years, but that afterwards he would return 
he would return them and, and bring them back into Jerusalem. So 70 years after the start of this Jewish exile, after King Cyrus of Persia defeated the Babylonian Empire, and so now Israel was enslaved to, um, to the, the Babylonians, and now because the Persians defeated the Babylonians, now they're under the Persians. So King Cyrus defeated uh, Babylon and took over the Babylonian kingdom. And God stirred Cyrus's heart to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And you can find this in Ezra chapter 1. So I, I highly recommend this morning that you would find some time this week to go and on your own read through the book of Ezra. It's not a very long book, but the first six, seven chapters correspond with this story this morning out of Zechariah. Um, this particular piece you can find in Ezra chapter 1. God stirred the heart of King Cyrus to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, even though that's not where he was. He was a Persian king, and he wasn't based in Jerusalem, but God put it on his heart to rebuild the temple. Zerubbabel was in the first wave of Jews that returned from Babylonian exile back into Jerusalem under King Cyrus's decree. And in Ezra, I believe it's chapter 2, there's a whole list of individuals and families uh, and groups that all were part of that return to Jerusalem. Uh, So Zerubbabel was in that first wave of Jews that that returned uh, from exile. He was a governor of Judah and the grandson of King Jeconiah, who was dethroned by the Babylonian king back in 607 BC. So he's he, he's uh, um, of royalty, if you will. Zerubbabel returned to Jerusalem along with Jeshua, who was the high priest, and these two were in charge of rebuilding the temple. So we'll fast forward a couple of years, and the temple foundation had been laid, but the work had been stalled. And you can find this in Ezra chapter 4. Those that were living uh, in and around Judah near Jerusalem, they were trying to discourage and frighten the Jews to keep them from rebuilding the temple. And these people were primarily Samaritan aristocrats that didn't want the Jews back. They felt their economy was threatened by this this return of all of these Jewish people. So they had multiple, in multiple ways, they tried to discourage this rebuilding. And finally, they sent a letter to the king, explaining that that if the construction was allowed to continue, and they were allowed to continue rebuilding the temple, that the Jews would refuse, they would be empowered by this, and they would refuse to pay their taxes to the king. And he would have yet another rebellion by the Jews on his hands, as the Jews had been uh, rebellious to previous rulers. And so King Artaxerxes received this letter, And he did his homework and saw that, yeah, they indeed have been rebellious in the past to all of these other rulers that have ruled over them, and they have refused to pay pay taxes. And so um, he stopped all the work. He said, they're they're not not to continue um, until I say otherwise. And for 15 years, he didn't do a thing about it. So the work, the foundation was laid. They began the work on rebuilding the temple, and it was stopped by the king, and for 15 years, nothing happened. So fast forward to Zechariah chapter 4. 
There's an incomplete foundation and a pile of rubble that is the remains of the first temple. Now, the interior dimensions of Solomon's temple, this is just a footnote for you. The interior, this is a huge, huge project. The interior of Solomon's temple was roughly 135 feet long and 35 feet wide, and the walls were 50 feet high. This is huge. And the walls were 10 feet thick. Can you imagine the amount of rubble that had been piled up there? Uh, Though construction had started on the second temple, on the rebuilding of the temple, it it had been stalled due to the, the bureaucratic red tape, if you will. The people, including Zerubbabel, are disheartened, they're disillusioned, they're discouraged. They had started with great gusto. God was doing something in their midst. God was charging them with rebuilding the temple. They were on a mission but something happened that derailed them and stopped progress. Have you ever felt like that? (laughs) Am I talking to anybody this morning? The people were disheartened, but God had a plan, and God spoke to the prophet Haggai and told him to deliver word to Zerubbabel that it was time to get back to work. God stirred up Zerubbabel, and he stirred up the uh, Jeshua, the high priest, and all the people, And it didn't matter, red tape or not, they began again to work on the temple. God used the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to encourage Zerubbabel in the work that God had called him to do. And that's where this strange vision comes in. You've got a golden lampstand, basically, a golden candlestick, seven a a bowl with seven lamps on it, and two olive trees, one on either side, with pipes running from the branches to this bowl, constantly supplying oil to these seven lamps. Zechariah didn't understand what he was seeing. And the angel asked what, what, this, all, uh, what this all meant, and, and, um, and he, didn't, he didn't understand. And the angel told him, tell Zerubbabel that it is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's such a powerful verse because so often we try and do things in our own might, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own resources. But the fact is, when you get stalled by whatever, we need to stop and we need to take inventory and take stock of our lives and realize that it is not by our strength that we accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. It's by His power. One of the commentaries that I um, had read when I was studying this, uh, really, I, I like the way that they, they laid this out. So the, the might here, not by might, the might here was referring to the collective strength of the, of the people. The, collect, the, the, might, the, the might of the group of people put together, working together, wasn't the, it wasn't the might that was going to accomplish it. It wasn't the power that was going to accomplish it. The power of Zerubbabel. Yeah, he was, he was of uh, a royal bloodline. Yes, he was uh, entitled to a, a, a position of power through his family within the, the kingdom of uh, the Jews within Israel, but, but it wasn't the power of Zerubbabel that was going to accomplish anything. It wasn't by might, the collective strength of the people. It wasn't by power the individual strength of any one person, but it was by the Spirit of the Lord. What God was saying is a a big group of you aren't going to do it. 
And one of you is not going to do it, but the I am is going to do it. And this is a, a really important takeaway for us. So often we try and do things in our own strength. Uh, but when God calls us to the work, one of the biggest mistakes that we can do is to get, get, allow ourselves to get in the way of what he's trying to accomplish. Um, you know, my kids are a little older now, but when they were younger, there were a lot of times that I would be working on a project or building a shed or, or whatever. I was doing, you know, working with wood and power tools and that kind of thing. And they would try and, and help. They wanted to help. But they didn't have... They didn't have the ability. They didn't have the dexterity. They didn't have the strength. And so they were really just in the way. And it was super sweet. I appreciated their heart. But move out of the way so I don't cut your arm off with the saw. You know what I mean? And so often I think that we do that with God. We, we, we look at it like we're, we're helping. We're helping. And don't get me wrong. I don't think God wants us to sit back and do nothing. We need to be yielded vessels and allow ourselves to be used by him. But don't get that confused with trying to do it on your own because you're just going to get in the way when you do. Um, verse number seven, who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. This is just building on verse number six. Zerubbabel didn't have the resources to bulldoze a mountain and make it a plain. God had called Zerubbabel to a seemingly impossible task, rebuilding the temple. But God will be the one to knock down the mountain and make the whole thing possible. And when it's all said and done and Zerubbabel drops that last stone into place, the people are going to be crying grace. It was the grace of God that did it. It was God's power that did it. They're not going to be praising Zerubbabel. They're not going to be praising the individual. They're going to be looking up and praising the God that made it all possible. When he drops that last piece of the puzzle into place and it all is complete, that final step and it's all done, it'll be evident that it's God at work. And they'll be crying, grace, grace. It's God's grace that did it. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his spirit. And when we allow his spirit to accomplish the impossible through us, the eyes won't be on us. They'll be on him. What does all this have to do with this strange vision? One of the duties of the Levitical priests in the temple, they were to maintain the, the lamps. They were to maintain the, the lamp of God. They were to keep the wicks trimmed. How many of you ever had like an old oil lamp that you had to maintain? Um, it, it takes a little bit of work. Uh, there's some cleanup involved because it releases a lot of soot and, you know, smoke and stuff. And so there's, there's work. You have to trim the wicks. Yeah. And they had to keep these lamps filled with olive oil and it had to be of the highest purity. And it was a lot of work to take the olives and to crush them to produce the oil and refine the oil they had to keep the lamps clean of soot, maintain the wicks so that everything burned properly. It took a lot of diligent human effort, a lot of work. But in this picture, in this vision, the oil flows directly from the olive trees to the lamps. There's no middleman. 
There's no human effort involved. There was nobody in between the tree and the lamp crushing the olives and producing the oil and working to refine the oil. It was a a constant flow directly from the source. This is a, a prophetic vision that have multiple applications. In the case of Zechariah's day, God was reiterating verses 6 and 7. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's a reiteration of that. It's not by anybody's efforts. It's going to flow directly from God. It's God's power directly at work. The temple was going to be finished, and it wasn't going to be by human effort or ability. It was going to flow effortlessly and naturally from God's spirit. Oil in the Bible is almost always a picture of the anointing of God. And and he was telling Zechariah that the construction of the temple was going to be accomplished by God's anointing and spirit and not by human power or human ingenuity. God used the hands of Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people to do it, but it was God that stopped those that were opposing the temple construction. It was God who had stirred Cyrus's heart to write a decree that in the very beginning to rebuild the temple. It was God that caused King Darius to look in the archives and to find the decree that Cyrus had written. And it was God that stirred Darius's heart to support the work and not only move the obstacles, but actually contribute the necessary supplies. And you can, again, go back and study the book of Ezra. In chapters 5 and 6, you'll find that the new king, King Darius, was so moved by God that he didn't only release them to go and, and give them the blessing and the okay to get back to work on the temple, He provided them with supplies, with finances, with resources in order to get back to work and to complete the task. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's not by our abilities or resources. It's through God alone that we can accomplish the things that he's called us to do. And these two olive trees are are also a, a messianic prophetic picture. What man had to do manually in the Old Testament, through the sacrifices of bulls and goats. God was going to do spiritually and permanently through his son, Jesus. See, in the Old Testament picture, there was a priest that had to slaughter a sacrifice. And there was a whole protocol that they would have to follow. And that would roll back the sins of man for a year. And then they would have to do it all over again. So the sins weren't done away with. They were just covered over. There was a middleman in between that tree, that olive tree, and that lamp. There was somebody in between doing the work. But what the, the picture here is saying is, I'm taking that out of the way. That forgiveness is going to flow directly from the heart of God to the heart of man. There's not going to be any in-between anymore. The light of the world that was symbolized by a lamp in the temple was maintained by priests, was going to be actualized in the Son of God. And that light would require no maintaining and no work of human hands. The oil that was finite and physical and merely a picture of the spiritual reality was going to be replaced by a never-ending, free-flowing supply of God's grace and God's anointing. These two olive trees, lastly, it's an end times picture. In Revelation chapter 11, it speaks about the two witnesses that will preach the gospel during the Great Tribulation. Um, In verse 4 of that 11th chapter of Revelation, they are actually called 
They're referred to as the two olive trees that stand before the Lord. And just like Zerubbabel and Joshua in their day, these two witnesses will be uh, testifying of God in the last days. So this vision that God gave Zechariah, it's so fascinating because it had, it had immediate implications. It applied to where they were at at that moment. And then it had application for us today, which would have been future back then when well, Zechariah first received this vision. So it had an immediate application, had an application for us here today. And it also has a future application um, you know, in, the, in, in days to come. Uh, moving on to verse number 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. I love this verse. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. A, a plummet is a, a plumb line, basically a level that a builder would use to make sure that a wall is, is straight. And what God's saying here is don't be discouraged by humble beginnings. Don't be discouraged by a small start. God rejoices to see the work begin. The seven lamps that represent the eyes of the Lord that run to and fro through the whole earth. Seven is the, the number of perfection. And essentially, this is a reference to God's omniscience, God's omnipresence and his omnipotence. God in all his power and all his majesty and everything that he is and does. The whole being of God rejoices to see the work start. It's so easy to get discouraged when we have... Um, when we have a tough start or when things don't take off like we had planned or like we had hoped. It's so easy to get discouraged when business is down a little bit and you're not making the profit that you think you should and, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It's easy to get discouraged when um, you're, you're struggling at work or you're struggling with your family. You've been uh, speaking to a loved one about, about Jesus. You've been witnessing and preaching to a loved one about Jesus, and they just don't seem to, to be receptive to it. It's so easy when you, when you don't feel any progress, it's easy to get so discouraged that you just give up. You give up hope. But this, this whole thing is a picture of staying on it. Don't give up. Don't give in. God has a plan. The, I can only imagine how disheartened Zerubbabel must have felt. The, the massive ruins of this temple that had been toppled. And it was his job to rebuild it. And he got started. But then it, it hadn't been touched for 15 years. 15 years there was just a big pile of rocks where they had been going out every day laboring, working. They had a long-term goal, a long-term vision. And they'd been diligently working away at it, and then they had to stop. I could just see it. He's driving to work, and he has to go by this thing every day and see this big pile of rocks. Hadn't come to, his, his dream hadn't, been, hadn't happened yet. Fifteen years, it hadn't happened yet. How many of you have ever started a, a project, and you didn't finish it because it was just too much, or you lost motivation, or something, <laughs> Right? Happens to all of us. Or something else gets in the way and you, you, you can't work on it. And so you don't work on it. And before you know it, it's been years and, and it's still incomplete. 
Have you ever started something and it didn't take off the way that you thought it should, the way that you'd hoped? Have you ever had dreams or goals and, and though you've tried, things just never worked out and you look at your life thinking if it was going to happen, it should have happened already. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't give up. Keep pressing on. God rejoices to see the level in your hand. A level is not an excavator. A level is a way of making small adjustments. It's a small, you accomplish small tasks with a level. You dig big holes, you make big progress in a short amount of time with a bulldozer or an excavator, right? But with a level, it's slow going, little bits at a time. And God rejoices to see the level in your hand. God rejoices to see you diligently plugging away Working day after day, taking steps every day, working towards what he's called you to do. Don't give up. God rejoices to see the level in your hand. Keep pressing forward. And I think we all wrestle with this sometimes. God, I'm 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years old and I'm not where I wanted to be. God, I've, I've had promises from you for years that haven't come to pass yet. We've all been there and we can all say similar things, but the important thing is that we don't give up. Keep working. Don't put the tools down. You bring joy and pleasure to God by being steadfast and going about the work that he's called you to, regardless of how big or how small it is, and regardless of how far away from the goal you may think you are. One day, when it's all said and done, and that last stone of your dreams is dropped into place, people can look at your accomplishments They'll look at your life. They'll look at what you've done and they will cry grace, grace. Everything they did was by God's grace. Don't despise the day of small beginnings because even though it may be a small start, it, it won't stay small forever. An oak tree starts out as a small acorn, but it can grow to 70, 80 feet taller than a six-story building. I, I, I work for HP. HP started in a garage. Earlier this year, I, I was um, traveling for work, and I was actually able to visit our headquarters. And I was there in this little tiny... It was, it, and they say it's a garage. It wasn't a garage. It was a shed. My shed at home is bigger than where HP started. And HP is a multi-billion dollar company now. Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Disney all started in garages. We talked a little bit about this last week. Um, our, our church, we just celebrated our, our eight-year anniversary. Um, and I remember as if it was yesterday when everybody was showing up at my wife and I's house. And we had 70-something people crammed into our little house with, uh, you know, camp chairs. And we had got together with a few crockpots full of chili. And that's how this, this church started. And I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. Um, this message is not a new message. I didn't write this message. I, I updated it a little bit and studied it, of course, but I didn't write this this week. This message is something that I preached um, about five years ago. And at the time, we were meeting in a, a school cafeteria. And in a few short years, look at what God has done. We started in in a little house. And it was, as mom said last week, it was, a, it was a hospital. Our church was a place where people with 
with broken hearts, people that had been wounded by, by churches that were supposed to, supposed to love and support them. They had been wounded. They had been cut. And we were a hospital where people could come and get healing. And over the years, we've moved from that little house to a school cafeteria where we were hauling equipment and chairs and everything else in and out every week, setting it all up. And now we're here. And instead of being a hospital, I feel like our mission as a church has shifted. Sure, we still uh, speak to and minister to those that are, that are brokenhearted, but God's allowed us to do some other things, to be a light in our community, to, uh, to, to be giving to others, to support others in need. I, I get emails from the Gem County Ministerial Association, and we, uh, the pastors within our community, share um, when there's a, a need within the community, we share that and we collaborate and, and see what we as not a church, but the church can do to help. And I so love seeing our community's churches come together to support those that are homeless to support those that have suffered loss in their families and loss in their homes, to support those that are desperately needing something, food. We, we helped a few years ago. There was a family, it was the dead of winter, and their, um, their heater went out, and they had, no, they had no heat. And our church was a part of helping them. We banded together with other believers within our community, and we put in a brand-new HVAC system for this family. That's something that this church was able to be a part of. In just a few short years, God has taken our small start and he's allowed us to grow and to be something that benefits and blesses the community in which we live and serve. I'm amazed and astounded. I look around today and I can't help but say grace, grace. God's grace that has brought us to where we are today. And the level is still in our hands. We're not done. God has so much more for this body and this community of believers to accomplish. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Little is much when the Lord is in it. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. Little is much when God is in it. Two thousand years ago, a handful of people had their lives radically changed and turned upside down by a man named Jesus giving them uh, giving them hope. They began living by faith after Jesus had ascended to heaven. The very word Christian was actually coined as an insult against those that followed Christ. It was a derogatory term when it was started. 2,000 years ago, a small handful of people that had their lives flipped upside down by Jesus started a movement. It was a small beginning. 
And it didn't happen overnight. Some of them were jailed. Some were tortured. Some of them were fed to lions. Some of them were used as human torches. Some seriously horrible, dark stuff happened to some of these people. But in spite of the opposition, in spite of the, imp- the oppression, the movement continued to grow. That small beginning, nothing could stop it. Little as much when God is in it. That movement continued to grow. And it has touched over the years billions and billions and billions of people, including you and I. Little is much when God is in it. Keep your hand to the plow and stay faithful. Stay faithful to the work that God's called you to do. And the author and the finisher of our faith will see to it that it's brought to completion and that when all is said and done, the people will cry, grace, grace. It's not by our might, not by our power, but it's by his spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Lord, we are so grateful, Father, for your word. Lord, we're so thankful for the, uh, the strange vision that you gave Zechariah and the encouragement that it gives you and I. We're grateful, God, for the, the word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to remain steadfast. Help us to not be sidetracked. Help us to not get discouraged when things don't work in, in our timetable, when things don't work out the way we think they should. Father, when progress is stalled, help us keep our hand to the plow. Help us to just continue trusting and continue walking, to keep the level in our hand, help us to continue working, putting one foot in front of the other. Help us not to despise small beginnings, God. Help us to look through the appearance and to see that little is much when God's in it. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.